A lot of these generational chains have been passed on for generations so long that we don't even question them. A lot of our parents, grandparents never really learned to talk to children. They learned to use abuse and force as a way to make them comply. It's all part of that same cycle where children didn't know that there were better ways and parents really didn't have the tools or knew that there were better ways to do things. This person loved you, you know logically they care so much for you and yet there was no emotional connection and now in adulthood we're trying to have a good relationship with them but we're not really emotionally connected and that is the result of trauma everyone to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Yolanda Renteria. She is a psychotherapist. Through her therapy practice, she does trauma workshops. She has an Instagram that's over 170,000 followers. She's getting the word out about how to process trauma and break the cycles that lead parents to pass their trauma on to the next generation. And you guys know how I love talking about generational trauma because we don't talk about it enough. So Yolanda, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Same. I feel like generational trauma is so real for so many of us. And a lot of us may not even have never even heard the term. I know for me, it was such a new term. And when I did hear it and started learning about it, it's like all these light bulbs went off. But before we get into that conversation, I want to know a little bit about you, your upbringing, and what led you to your path that you're doing now. Hmm. My journey has been interesting because I was one of those people who normalized everything that happened in their childhood. Um, If you had asked me 15 years ago about my childhood, I would have said I had a happy childhood. I had great parents. And that was the end of the story. I went to grad school. I started to understand that there was more to parenting then, but I never really related it back to my own experiences. And it wasn't really until I started doing trauma work when I started getting into the somatic trainings that I understood how deep it went. And in my first EMDR session, everything, you know, everything opened up. And it was like all of these connections of, wow, who I am today makes sense when I understand myself in the context of my past experiences, which is often something that I share with people, that this is what generational trauma is about. So where are your parents from? Are they from uh, the U.S. or what's your background, your ethnic background? I'm Mexican. Uh, Both of my parents were born in Mexico. My grandmother on my mom's side was indigenous. My granddad on my mom's side was had um, Spanish ancestry. I don't know too much about the stories of my grandparents, but in terms of my like me, I am I immigrated to the United States when I was 11 years old. Grew up in Mexico, have family in Mexico, and was very was raised in a very traditional household. Mexican values. My mom, she's Brazilian and Middle Eastern. And so I noticed that at least with like my mom's story and my mom's side, because that side came from different places and immigrated to the U.S., when I started learning about generational trauma, I noticed so many of the differences and the trauma that came with the different generations. So let's just start with the basics. 
what is generational trauma? If someone's listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, my family immigrated here or my family's from a different generation and I noticed some differences and they're starting to like maybe resonate with this. What is it though? How do we define that? Generational trauma looks different for everyone, but in a nutshell is things that impact the way that we show up, whether it's our behaviors, our thinking, the way we feel that happened as a result of how we were raised and generational trauma is just a lot of abuse, neglect, attachment patterns that were passed on from one generation to the next that were normalized. And sometimes one person sees, sees it in one generation, and that's when we talked about breaking cycles, right? Being a cycle breaker. But yes, um, generational trauma, everybody identifies their own trauma differently. Some people just like to use the word generational cycles because they don't like to associate themselves with the word trauma and that's okay too but it's just cycles that get repeated from one generation to the next that are harmful in nature and that impact the way that you show up so let's give some specific examples so let's say we have three generations let's say we have grandma we have mom and now we have daughter and i know this is a blanket statement because this can show up in many different ways but just for the sake of examples what may that look like if that's trickling down from grandma, mom to now to daughter, let's say? One example would be if grandmother was abused in their own childhood, um, sexually abused, when they have a daughter, they may normalize abuse because they may believe that they caused it or that this was just something that happened in families. So they offered zero protection for their daughter and their daughter understood that that was very wrong. So when they pass, when they have their own child, they become overprotective. So thinking that they're breaking the cycle of trauma, right? They're breaking that cycle of sexual abuse, but now they enter into a different way of trauma, which is being so overly protective of their child that the, the world seems very unsafe for them growing up. I like to give examples too, because my, so this is what it looked like in my family. And I found it interesting as I was kind of navigating what generational trauma looks like. And it helped me. And I talk about this a lot on my podcast, you know, as I've gone through my healing journey, it's helped me to kind of recognize some of this and grow from it and have a little bit more compassion, but at the same time, also learning to have really strong boundaries. So my mom, half Brazilian, half Palestinian mom's Catholic, died at a very young age. She was 13 when mom passed away, went to Brazil, lived with the family, and then got sent to live with her dad, who's 100% Palestinian, Muslim background, very traditional, night and day from the Brazilian side. And so you have that trauma of, you know, from that point when they're dealing with war and things that were going on in Palestine and now have trickled over to the kids who married off at a young age, we're now dealing with a new stepmom who there was cultural differences. You were dealing with abuse and other things that were going on in the home. And now you have that trickling down to me where I was dealing with somebody who had emotional dysregularity, who was extremely hot and cold, who was not able to show emotions or love because she was abused or hit. And then now she thought that that's how good parenting was. And, you know, all of that trickled down to me. And then what it started to look like with me was 
issues in relationships, anxious attachment style, not having functional, healthy relationships, people pleasing, and then perfectionism. And so like I had to get to a point where I'm like, all right, like I need to stop this cycle because otherwise it's going to show up now with my daughter. It's like I started seeing how that trauma can literally trickle down. One thing I noticed with my mom was that she had these issues of like, I wouldn't say racism, but I would say almost like discrimination and things that she thought were like, this is how you parent. These are the things that you're supposed to do. Do you feel like with generational trauma, how do you handle when you have a parent like that? And you're now the kid and you have this parent who has these like firm belief systems. How do you even navigate that? You know, that that's a very good question because everyone's so different. So everyone has their unique experience. The best way to navigate this is by learning what is the healthiest thing, because a lot of the times we have this urge or impulse to do something completely different than our parents did. And that may not necessarily be the healthiest. Learning what is the healthiest way to be in relationships, what is the healthiest way to set boundaries or be in relationships, right? Like parents, that is so, so key when we're breaking cycles. One of the things that I like to talk about is how a lot of our parents broke cycles of their own. When you come from a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, some parents focus on changing the immediate things, right? Like poverty. I want my children to get an education. I want my children to do better in life than I did. So I'm going to like make it my life's mission to do that. And they lose track of other behaviors that might also be impacting their kids. At the end of the day, what we want to look at is what is the health of our relationships? Do I feel satisfied with my life? Whatever area of my life is the one that's chronically, you know, that the one in which I'm chronically displeased, the one in which I'm chronically doing behaviors that I don't like, or that, you know, takes up a lot of mental space, we start there. And chances are, it's going to tie back to generational trauma. Yeah. And I think that our environment impacts how we are, right? And one thing that we learned in um, grad school is person and environment. It's not just about the mental health diagnosis or, you know, the diagnosis that you give somebody, but somebody's environment can really affect how they show up to the world, their belief system of the world. Like my mom, it was when she was angry, she would hit. That was what she was taught. And she then did that to me. And it's like when she was confronted later on as an adult to like say, no, that's not something that you do to a kid. In her mind, that's something that was okay and still is okay. And I think a lot of these parents, I hear that term where like, it's kind of like normalized, abuse is normalized. And so I guess that's another question that I have too is, you know, with generational trauma, is that something that you see frequently? Because I saw a post that you did that said, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes abuse can be looked at as love, because if that's what you grew up with, that's what you saw. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So a lot of these generational chains have been passed on for generations so long that we don't even question them, right? But they started somewhere. A lot of people talk about how these had roots in colonization, right? The violence that is done. What we have to know is that it's been present in our lives for a long time. And a lot of the parenting 
back as far as we can remember there was like a very much so power differential that was very present where the parent had complete control of the child and the child had to obey and you had to do anything in your power to make sure that was what happened and a lot of our parents grandparents never really learned to talk to children they learned to use abuse and force as a way to make them comply. A lot of our parents, when they were children, they internalized the message of, oh, I deserve it because I did this thing that was wrong. They never learned that they could have been parented in a different way, which is why we have a lot of adults who still normalize it and say, like, this is what my parents had to do, or there was just no other way, or I was a difficult child, I was a bad child, and that's why my parents hit me, that's why they yelled, They that's why they punished me the way that they did. It's all part of that same cycle where children didn't know that there were better ways and parents really didn't have the tools or knew that they were there were better ways to do things. And when you have people who break cycles as adults, they realize that no, that wasn't okay actually, and the people who normalize it believe like, yeah, that had to be done. The difference is the person has awareness that there are other ways to do things. And the person who's stuck in like, this is all we know. So that therefore, it must be all that it can be done. And they, there is this sense of my parents want what, what's best for me. That's why they did this. And if they want what's best for me, it's because they love me. And we have to remember that for children, they depend on their caregivers for survival, for food to be taken care of, and for connection, which is so important for human beings. If I begin to be aware that my parent is not the person that I think they are, if I begin to feel like, no, like a person who loves you doesn't do these things then what's going to happen? We're going to see a disconnection from the child and the parent, which is what happens in a lot of situations where a parent is very abusive and the child is able to see that the parent is not caring and it's not loving and that they're wrong, right? So in a way, it's a way to preserve this emotional connection to the parent. And in adulthood, a lot of the times, because we're no longer that child, we see a parent that is very different. They're more engaged. They want to know more about us. They still come from this very caring way that they told us with words, right? Like, I love you. That's why I hit you. That's why I do all of these things. But now they can no longer do that. So we're just getting the I love you and I care about you. But what a lot of adults are finding is that they are having all of these emotional reactions to their parents where like, I don't know. I don't understand why I'm so impatient with my parents if they're very loving I understand that what they did was because they loved me, right? And so I normalize it. I don't question what they did, but I still don't have the closest relationship with my parents. I still don't feel very loving towards them. It's hard for me to hug them. It's hard for me to say, I love you, right? So this is how then that manifests in our relationships. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we had parents who are very loving and abusive. And so then as adults, we have this idea of love as nurturing and at the same time abusive or 
like there's there could be somebody who's really loving who's also abusive or there can be somebody who really cares for you but is also abusive and then we don't know where that line lies and we start normalizing things at an unconscious level it's mm-hmm. okay if your partner lashes out that way like it's not a big deal they didn't hit you yes they were yelling but you know everyone yells but they're angry and then you start getting introduced to these ideas of, well, not really. <laughs> not everyone yells when they're angry. Not everyone slams or when they're upset. You know, not everyone um, holds you like or, or touches you in a way that's physically, you know, um, harsh when they're upset. You know, they they don't cross your physical boundaries, and that's how the lines get blurred. And this is why, like, so many people normalize what happened then and they and if you talk about you know generational cycles they'll say no this is how we do things and then they go on to repeat these same things with their kids and what they're teaching their kids is the same things that they learn about love and connection so many good points because i'm like saying "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," because i'm thinking back to my own childhood and there's such a big like my mom doesn't understand why there's such a big disconnect between us. I have such a hard time saying I love you. There's, I have such a hard time being even, even hugging is extremely uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't have love for my mom, but she makes it really really difficult. I hate to say that, but it's true. And it's those cycles of like her thought process of what she normalizes till this day that I'm like, no, that's not normal. I don't do that with my child. So there's that disconnect because I know that it's not normal. She thinks it is. And I'm like, no. And so we just don't have that close connection relationship. And I can totally understand how somebody, if they come to that conclusion, would not want to come to that conclusion because maybe they do want that that closeness with their, their parent. And you talked about how it could show up in relationships. And it makes me think about the connection with the nervous system. I would love to hear your thoughts on nervous system connection or the body and how even maybe our body may respond to generational trauma or now that we're in relationships, because I think that our body remembers trauma. Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. It shows up as triggers. What are the things that bother you the most, that, the things that set you off? We know that trauma or the impact of our experiences lies in our reactions and if they match what is happening in the present moment. If somebody says something very benign when you really think about it, but it sets you off, then it's something to look at. If it happens with our parents, it happens with our partners, and it happens with our children and with friends too. We, based on our experiences, make an interpretation of what's happening and that sets off our immediate reactions. So I would tell people, you know, pay attention to how you react and the stories and the conclusions that you come to based on what's happening and ask yourself, did this happen? Do I have evidence that this actually happened? Or is this the story that I created about what happened? 
because a lot of times we're creating stories that have very little to do with what it's actually happening. I'll give you an example. It can be you go to the store and the cashier is in a bad mood, okay? 10 people can be in the same line and 10 people will react very differently to that same experience. Some people will try to appease and calm the person. Some people will be upset that she's even (laughs) there, right? Like if you're not, if you're going to be upset, then why do you even work here? Mm -hmm. Other people will feel like it's about them. I did something that made them mad. You know, so something so simple will activate different things for different people. And this is the best way to know that a lot of the things that happen to us have to do more with our own internal story, our experiences, and what we make of what we're seeing that tends to be attached to the beliefs that we have about ourselves and that beliefs that we already have about other people. I love that. I try to keep that in mind, too, when I am feeling triggered you know, like when it's troll five, nine, two, six, who, you know, says something and I'm like, okay, why am I feeling this way? And I always try to remember, it's never usually about you. It's always a reason why someone is triggered. It's always a reason why they're popping off about something. And so I try really hard not to take things personal. And that's what I tell my clients. It's never really about you. There's a, there's a reason why that person was triggered. And when you can kind of understand that it becomes, or it, for me, it became a little easier for me to like, okay, I hear what they're, they said. I understand what I'm feeling, but I'm not going to hold on to it. I release it. I let it go. Do you feel like with certain people who have generational trauma that they're more prone to mental health diagnoses, such as like personality disorders, things like that? Are they more prone to that when they have that traumatic background or those generational cycles? Absolutely. I mean, I would not be able to tell you the statistics on how many people have mental health disorders purely out of genet- like genetics, right? But I believe that even people who are predisposed, who have that genetic predisposition, if they're raised in, in the right environment, their chances to develop a severe case of that mental illness is much less than if they're raised in the environment that actually feeds into that. And I don't know if you're familiar with epigenetics, but epigenetics, the theory of epigenetic is that a lot of the stuff is passed on by previous generations. So we are predisposed to anxiety, depression, substance abuse, because that actually worked in some way for our parents or their parents. And we were born with changes in our DNA. It doesn't change our DNA. It has what it does is it um, there's tags that are attached to our DNA with these predispositions. And depending on our environment, these tags will turn on or off. It's such a cool thing to learn because when you start learning about trauma, you start seeing it differently. When When you see anxiety, well, what is anxiety? Anxiety is really protective. Even though people who suffer from anxiety especially severe cases, it can be super crippling and it might not make sense. But if you think about anxiety, it's a way to plan, right? We want to plan to avoid something and that's protective. And sometimes our parents were in environments where they actually had to plan to survive. So they develop anxiety as a way to survive. My dad 
is an alcoholic, is going to come home. Where am I going to hide? What am I going to do? What if he does this? What if he does that? Right? It's protective. And so nature and the epigenetic theory, what it assumes is that, well, if this is the case for you, chances are your child is going to be born in a similar environment. We want to pass on this protection onto them. So now they're more predisposed to anxiety, which is this planning, right? And so if they are born in a similar environment to yours, that because you are also become, um, you also have problem with substance use, then that also makes sense for them. And then this worry, concern, overanalyzing feature of anxiety spreads into all areas of our lives, right? Not just this protective aspect. The same is true for substance abuse. What is substance abuse? It's a way to cope with what's happening internally. What is depression? Depression is disconnection. When is the best way? When is the best time to feel disconnected when you're being abused, when you're going through a lot of emotional turmoil. So depression can be really painful for people who have a good support system and want to feel connected. Depression or disconnection, the element of disconnection and depression can be really helpful for people who are going through a lot of emotions and need an escape from it. It's so fascinating how, you know, literally it can be passed down at the DNA level for survival. Like it's just, and we look at, you know, the, the, the theory of evolution and how, you know, we've, we've manifested into where we are now, you know, not saying like, I'm not taking away from anyone's belief system, but just the theory of it. It's very fascinating to just know how amazing our bodies really are in order to survive and that it really can be passed down. Do you feel like, you know, because I know that you mentioned that your parents were were um, immigrants and you also immigrated to the U.S. And I have that background in my family, too. And maybe some people who are listening do. Do you feel like people who have that history of immigration are more prone to generational trauma? And if so, why? I think it definitely adds layers to it because you have to adjust to a system that is not your own. In my case, it was different because I live, I've lived all my life in a predominantly Spanish community, Spanish speaking community, which means I had access to a lot of community care, speak people who spoke my language. But I did have the element when I started school that I felt like an outcast. So I was one, like these things that happen in my upbringing you know, I had those with me. And then I was adding these other layers of I don't feel good enough in this country. I don't feel like I'm ever going to amount too much. Because of my accent, I don't feel like I am worthy as other as worthy as other people's of opportunities. There are people who are more worthy than you. Also, in my case, I was raised by a a father who was, you know, he came here as a bracero from the Bracero program. And he worked in the fields. And he was raised to be thankful for whatever he received from this country, even when it was abusive and even when the systems were unjust, because at least they were giving you an opportunity, right? And so for me, when he brought me to the United States, me and my brother, he told us, you know what, at least you can get a job here in the fields where you can get a little bit more money than in Mexico and you should be grateful for that, right? So 
the systems are very complex. I think it's, it's different for everyone because not everybody is in the same situation as me. But those are things that left in me the belief that that there was a limit of how much I could reach, that there were things that happened to other people that didn't happen to me, right? That I had to be thankful for anything, which sets a lot of immigrants or yeah, people from BIPOC communities to accept whatever they receive, even when it's not equal, right? And not, not don't ask for more. And then, um, and then that's passed down. And I think this is also common in poverty, right? When people are in, in cycles of poverty, I remember, you know, like no one in my family ever met uh, with board members. So when I had jobs where I was like with board members and people who had good paying jobs, I felt always like the odd one out. Like they are superior than me in some way. And breaking through that is so difficult if you're not aware. And I feel a lot of people can get stuck there where it's like your job or your role in this country is to just be in places where you're accepted or that they were designed for you and stepping out of that can be really, really, really challenging. I love the points you made because, man, it's so true that immigrants and I think that when you're dealing with immigration, it's just a different set of circumstances. It's a different set of environments that some of us are not used to, or we may have never been exposed to. And it's just a different type of trauma. And we think about our history in the US too. I mean, we literally came to the US, took over. And when you think about the indigenous population and how much trauma was set there, and then we were the land of opportunity and how many people immigrated here. So there's so many of us that our grandparents, sometimes our parents, sometimes us, but our grandparents and great grandparents that chances are someone in your lineage came here. Someone in your lineage had some type of immigration to the U.S. that most likely trickled down in some way. And we've had so many changes in our generation. I mean, huge changes, even with technology. Do you feel like social media has changed the way that generational trauma shows up for us? I think we have a lot more awareness. This is one reason I opened my account because I saw other people, other therapists on the platform talking about these topics. And I felt like called to do that as well because therapy was always something that you did, you know, behind closed doors. I think most therapists were probably, when we started in social media, we felt very like, oh my God, am I going to get in trouble for talking about these things? And now we talk so openly about them and people are more aware. A lot of our parents, grandparents did not have this awareness. It would have been really helpful for them to even hear about these things, you know, like it creates a sense of awareness. There are so many different areas of our lives that we may not be the healthiest in that if we didn't hear it from other people, we may just believe, you know, it's it's just the way it is. Um, I often speak about how parents focus on breaking cycles, even though they may not look like that to us in their own way. And I believe that a lot of the times they didn't do the best job because they didn't really know 
what to do. They just thought, okay, well, if my parents did this, then I'm going to do the opposite. If my parents always struggled financially and they didn't care, you know, and we were always hungry, then I'm going to make sure that I feed my kids and there's always food on the table and give them everything that they want. And then that turns us into a parent who is maybe gives our children too much and is never home because they're always working, right? So now we're learning balances. Now social media is teaching us more about that balance. Don't get me wrong. I think we're still going through a time where like it's a learning curve. What we're learning now, some people may take it to the extreme on the other end, right? Like we're, okay, so I can't spank, so I'm going to avoid spanking, but I don't know what to do. So I'm just kind of like, you know, just kind of like put my hands up and let things be because I know that spanking is not good, but I'm not doing anything to replace that. So I think we're going to see some of that. Hopefully more people are being called to go to therapy, which I I know this is true. More people are taking advantage of reading parenting books, going to therapy, taking parenting classes or workshops to learn more about what to do. If If I am learning that it's important to set boundaries, how do I set them and when do they become rigid boundaries? Right. If I am learning about healthy relationships and balance and speaking about my needs, how do I find the balance between honoring my needs and honoring my partner needs? So it doesn't just become about me, my needs and what's important to me. Um, I, I feel that that transition is coming. And I'm so like, I can't wait for a couple of generations to see the impact of the work people are doing now. I agree. I think that social media has made therapy, mental health, self-awareness. Cool. That stigma is slowly being taken away. And, you know, you see more people advocating for mental health to say like, no mental, like for me, I'm single. And if I meet a guy who says, yes, I've, I'm in therapy, I've been in therapy. I'm like, that is attractive. Mm -hmm. That to me says that you've done your inner healing. You're doing your work. I would rather date someone like that than someone who's never been to therapy or who doesn't believe in it. So I think we're kind of shifting our mind mindset to say like, yes, healing is good. Do it. We want to see that. We love to see therapy. And I think that this generation is, you know, woke. They're so self-aware. And just like you, I hope that in future generations or their children or their children's children, these generational cycles start to break. Or at least even if they're there, that we start to have an understanding that okay, I know that it's there, but it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to, you know, learn more about what I'm going through. So I love that. So for people that are listening right now, how do we start breaking these cycles? I know that uh, you do a lot of somatic work. So I would love to hear what that entails. What does that mean? And if somebody's listening, and they want to start breaking these generational cycles, where do they begin? So there can be different ways, I would encourage people to read. Even if they're adults, I would encourage them to read parenting books because it teaches us what was healthy and what was needed. And I want you to keep an open mind that it will be really hard to read about parenting in a way that you're not used to. It will almost sound fake, unrealistic. And I just want people to sit with that, right? Why is it the healthiest thing, the healthiest way to be in relationships, the healthiest way to parent? the healthiest way to think about the, the things that I could have had in my own childhood, why does that feel uncomfortable? So that's a big step. 
The other, the somatic work, there are different somatic modalities. Personally, I practice EMDR in therapy only in Arizona, and then somatic, other somatic work around the world, which is somatic experiencing, brain spotting, but there is craniosacral psycho, uh, psychotherapy, IFS, internal family systems. There are different ones. So you can just Google some and see. And here's the theory behind somatic work. You can know logically that you want to change something and you may try to change it, but your body says no. Your body feels stuck. Oh gosh, I want to go to the gym. I want to have healthier relationships. I don't want to be so reactive, but anytime I'm in that situation, I it seems like I cannot help it. The reason that happens is because we're when we're in that moment or fight flight response tends to kick in or we become we are in automatic and we're repeating a cycle that tends to be protective and we have no awareness how it is protecting us because again it doesn't make sense in the present right what when we do somatic sessions what it does is we go into the body and we connect to the body. And an example would be if you're talking about something that is bothering you, maybe like something that you do in your parenting. I'm very reactive. In somatic work, we will start by noticing what's happening in the body. Well, tell me a little bit more what happens in that moment. If you go back to that moment, if you visualize that, what happens in your body as you're thinking about it? Tell me what emotion you are feeling. What is the message that you're giving yourself about this emotion? And so then people are really, really connecting to their internal experience. And then we ask the question in some modalities of, I want you to see how long this has been there. Because chances are this is not new. Most of the times I do this with people, they tell me it's been there since I was a child. It's been there since I was a teen. And so we work with the emotions that are stored in the body to process them and to identify. Sometimes we identify experiences, right? Like we can take it back and it's like, oh my God, I remember when I was this age and this happened. And then this snowballed into other experiences where the same thing happened over and over, similar things. And that's why I have this belief about myself, right? Or gosh, yeah, I grew up in a home when no one spoke for like spoke out for me or looked out for me. And I tended to like, I let everybody walk over me. And then there was one day when I was a teenager that I realized this and I like started speaking up for myself. And now like, there's no way I can't stop speaking out, you know, like I have this reaction. So in somatic work, we go in to process those experiences, process those reactions and so there's a part of people that feels like that cycle is closed and they can begin to see their experiences differently, the past experiences differently. And so they don't feel so intense. And so the intensity of the emotion and our reactions in the present changes. I have done this work personally. I've tried different modalities. And I can tell you, like, in my relationship with my mother, this has been huge because I used to be really reactive with my mom. My mom was very caring, very safe in the physical sense. 
food is on the table, right? Very predictable. So there was a lot of safety, but there was a lot of emotional abandonment because she didn't really know how to show up emotionally for me. And, you know, we're, we're Mexican, so that novelas were a big thing. It's a pop for us, right? And so, it, so a lot of the messages I received growing up were, you know, go outside, go play outside, let the adults talk you're annoying, stop, right? And so when I became an adult, my mom was a completely different person because obviously I was not that annoying kid anymore. And I know that I wasn't annoying. It was that it triggered her own responses of not knowing what to do with kids because she didn't have a childhood and she didn't have a parent who was the same way with her. And as an adult, I found myself like, why do I have this loving mom who's always like asking me how I am, who wants to spend time with me? And I'm so reactive around her. I It was like I would walk into her house because I wanted that connection, like I knew logically. But the moment I was in her presence, I felt it. Yeah, I would be so reactive. I was like, this doesn't add up. And it never made sense. And then it started to make sense because it was like, oh, okay, this is this is the same thing she felt with me when I was growing up. She felt everything that came out of my mouth was annoying, right? Like I was an inconvenience. We were so emotionally disconnected. And I'm also only talking about my own experience because I know that there that it's different for other people, but working, doing somatic sessions and working in therapy has helped me so much you know, get rid of a lot of those reactions. We're working in a relationship in such a different way. She also is a cycle breaker and has learned so much through me about these cycles. She hasn't had somatic sessions, but, you know, like um, her, the work that she has done has been so powerful. And now we're at a place where my body feels very differently around her. I... I'm able to be physically affectionate, which is still like a growing <laughs> like mm-hmm. process. It is, it is so, right? It's so sad and also so confusing how like you love this person. You know you would give your life for this person. I know as a child, you know, I loved her. I would have, if she had passed, I probably would have jumped in the hole right in with her. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't emotionally connected as I am now. And one thing that I want to share with people who are listening is that in one of my sessions, I had a therapist ask me um, when I was experiencing, like in, in the session, I was processing a childhood experiencing experience and I couldn't connect. And, and she said, do you remember, you have a memory of your mom's eyes looking at you? And... When you're processing, when you're doing somatic work, your body scans things automatically. And so I was scanning for memories and there was no memories. I don't remember that either. No. And it just brought so much. Like mm-hmm. so much. Because it's like this person loved you. You know, logically, they care so much for you. And yet there was no emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And now in adulthood... We're trying to have a good relationship with them, 
but we're not really emotionally connected. And that is the result of trauma because a lot of them were caretakers and they were, you know, they were so set on parenting being a power thing where you have your children obey. Yes. That emotional connection was not a thing, right? So shut up, don't cry, or cry but stop crying, Um, don't bother me, do as you're told, don't ask so many questions. But then in adulthood, we want to be super close to them and say, I love you. It doesn't work that way. And Mm -hmm. so now if, if people who are listening have children, have children, it's so important to lay that foundation for the relationship that you want later on in life. If you want your child to hug you when they're older, hug them now. If you want your child to come to you and tell you the most important things that are happening in their lives, listen to them now. And if that's hard for you, notice that (laughs) because chances are, you know, if it's difficult for you, it's because either there's no pattern of that happening in your life or if there is a pattern, there may be a connection that was made where it's like it's not like you're not supposed to do this. Or there's something bad about this or something wrong with this. Um, we can have the most beautiful relationships and, all, and and these can take a lot of work and time, but it really, really is worth it. Thank you for sharing that. And just thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your experiences. I, I literally am listening to my childhood. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm very aware of my mom's trauma and I acknowledge the trauma, but, you know, for my mom it's like an excuse for the behavior and so many things, even until this day. And it's not to bad mouth my mom. It's just my truth. You know, she'll be like, you did this when you were 13 and you put me through hell as a teenager. I'm like, I was a kid. I was a kid. Like I'm not a kid anymore. We gotta, you can't just stay stuck in that cycle, you know? And it's like, she's just so stuck in that cycle. She's, there's no no self-awareness and I'm out of that cycle. I'm like, no, we're not passing this on. And so that's a lot of what I do with my daughter. Like I am affectionate now. We're having these conversations now because I don't want to have that disconnect with her. And when I hear you talking about somatic work, it's so interesting because I think about even, again, I just related to my own experiences and my nervous system and how I feel when my mom comes in the room. I know that she's my mom. I know that she wants to have a connection with me. But when she comes to my house or when I know I'm going to go see her, my body is preparing for something. My fight or flight is literally kicking in. And what ends up happening, I notice because now I'm self-aware of what's going on in my body and I'm trying to work through it, is that my body goes numb. I feel uncomfortable, but I don't show any emotions. So I don't show happiness. I don't smile. I don't make eye contact. I cannot look at her in her eyes. And I remember thinking back and I'm going to you know, say something that could be triggering for some, but I remember when my mom would go on her rampage, the thing was slapping. She loved to slap me. And I remember just like sometimes being in the car and her backhanding me and I would just look out the window and I'm like, nope, 
She's not going to see me cry. Mm -hmm. Like she's not going to know that she got to me. And this was at seven, eight, Mm -hmm. nine years old. So now you take that into adulthood. And now when she comes around me, I can't seem to look at her in the eye unless I've had a couple glasses of wine. My body goes numb because I can't show emotion. And that is my nervous system reacting. It's my body reacting, even though my brain is telling me she's not doing anything wrong. She's just here to say hi. But my body just can't. I, it can't shift. It has just, it stayed stuck. And now that she's older and she wants to have this relationship, I'm like, it's just not that easy for me to just be like, love you. We're all good. And it's just that, that disconnect. So thank you for like validating how I feel. It's so good to know that there's other people that have gone through that and that, you know, it can be, it's, there's not something wrong with me. And for people listening, I'm sure they're probably thinking, oh, wow, it's not just me. Other people have gone through this too. Uh, When you look back, even just your own experiences, what advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. That's a good question. What advice would I give to my younger self? You know, I, when I was younger, I think I was very naive and I thought the best of people, I'm the youngest of a large family. And that put me in a lot of situations where I was very vulnerable and it made me really defensive, you know, growing up as an adult. So from I went from being very passive to everything being a trigger, like no one <laughs> was going to have a word over me. And You know, it went from being super passive of everybody's right, I'm wrong, or I'm going to let people have their truth and I'm just going to get out of the way to being this adult who would, you know, get upset if somebody chose the wrong restaurant, (laughs) the restaurant she didn't (laughs) want, right? And I think I would just say, I don't, I think I would say it more to the older version that 18, 19 year old of... Um, it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay for you to be defensive. Um, you went through a lot that led you to be there and that was a stage that you needed to go through. And it led to other things of, of, of feeling like detached from people. You know, it had consequences. And I think... Yeah, I think I would just tell her, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to, you needed to be who you were in those times to survive what you were going through. And then as you age, you did what you did to survive. And that's okay. Um, and giving yourself that grace. I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Yolanda, thank you so much for, you know, just sharing your story and your experiences and your amazing work that you're doing with other people. And I hope that anyone who's listening to this got a little bit more awareness of knowing how to break these cycles so it doesn't continue to the next generation. Please keep doing what you're doing. I love that you're passing these messages on social media because it is a way of free therapy, free insight, and you know, you're know you helping so many people. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time and your energy. Thank you for having me.